it's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Yes, they are. A lot of things are worth fighting for, and that's what uh, I've been trying to do with your help for almost 10 years now. It'll be 10 years, uh, I think, in June or the end of May since I started with American Family Radio doing this morning show. And for every day of that uh, long, you know, five days a week for 10 years, following my show, you have heard this. The Bible says, Be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Street, do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We face a disintegrating economy, a weakened defense, and an energy policy based on the sharing of scarcity. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Now, here's your host, Dan Celia. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. Why am I playing that? Because uh, that was a, I love that opening. I always did. I don't think he's ever changed it since I've been here for 10 years, and I've always loved it. Uh, it sets the stage properly for Dan Celia's show, Financial Issues. Uh, Dan uh, was part of our team for so many years, and in a second we're going to talk about that. But Dan, if you don't know, passed away last Wednesday afternoon. Uh, it's been talked about a little bit on on our network, but this is my first chance to address it. We did not expect this. This happened actually. It's been um, on, he got suddenly ill uh, a few months ago, but I don't think any of us really thought it would lead to his death, but it did. And so it's been a great shock. I want to tell you just a little bit about Dan before I bring Tim Wildman, our president, on with us. Um, Dan was, a, of course, a very devoted follower of Jesus. He talked about money, but he also, most of all, he was kind of like an evangelist. And actually, he came to Christ to the ministry of um, a Jim Stan, a Jim Stanley, <laughs> of, of uh, Charles Stanley. Uh, he came to the to, to Christ through that, and he was just passionate about it. In 1999, he started a ministry to provide uh, or promote biblically responsible a system of financial management that he developed. He started his radio ministry in 1997. It had grown to be over in over 800 radio stations and multiple television stations. He was a conference speaker, the author of six books. He served as executive producer on several video productions. He, char he partnered, he gave his time with lots of ministries like, like the American Family Foundation, but also Preborn and India Partners and Samaritan Ministries and, and Liberty Council, all those familiar to you. Dan's uh, quote this morning that I'll share with you um, says that my greatest blessings work worth talking about have been coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as a result of Charles Stanley's ministry, my marriage, children, grandchildren, receiving my second master's degree in theology and being ordained in 2001, and my service in the military from 1971 to 1977. Beyond that, the rest 
is insignificant. And that just gives you a little flavor of uh, if you weren't a regular listener, even if you were, you probably didn't know those things about him. And so I've asked Tim Wildman, the president of AFA, to join us this morning, Tim, and uh, Dan and Dan's wife and Allison. We were, were all very good friends. So, Tim, I know this is hard for you, and thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, Sandy. Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, wish we were talking about something else, but uh, <clears throat> Dan was... Uh, you know, as you say, a good friend to you and and to me and to our families and uh, on a personal level. That, you know, I mean, as well as a professional level, and he is he's going to be so missed by our uh, listeners, by us, for multiple reasons. Uh, and he came on two hours a day on AFR. I was trying to think back when he started. I, I want to say. Somewhere in the 12 to 14 year range, I'd have to look back specifically to find out, but uh, he, he, two hours a day that brother gave, and he uh, was so prepared, like you, for his show. I mean, he didn't wing it. He got up like at three in the morning and waited on the world markets to open, you know, Hong Kong, and he would tell me about these things, and of course, I would nod my head, because I don't know very much at all about <laughs> about. about about markets or uh, finances, uh, that was his forte. You know, that was his expertise. But you're, you're right. That list of priorities that you, you listed, that he listed, was who he was. He was first and foremost a servant of Jesus. And uh, I remember when he told me that story about pulling over to the side of the road when he was a young man and uh, a younger man pulling over to the side of the road, hearing Charles Stanley on the radio, again, the impact of Christian radio, uh, and, and hearing the message and giving his life to Christ, and it changed him forever and changed his changed his whole career uh, destination. Tim, I'm curious about how you, how did you intersect with Dan? Because he's a, he's in, you know, northerner, Pennsylvania, that thus his act yeah. is very, you know, his very distinctive uh, accent yes. on, on American Family Radio. Um, so how did you guys intersect? Uh, you know, I, Rich Bott from the Bot Radio Network recommended Dan. Uh, he was on the Bot Radio Network at the time. And then Mike and Debbie Hamilton, our friends uh, from uh, Philadelphia, who represent a lot of Christian ministries, uh, he, they, they, they brought Dan down to Tupelo, Mississippi, and from Philadelphia. And you're right. Uh, Dan had a distinctive Philly uh, <laughs> accent. He uh, he uh, also. Did you guys have to use an interpreter? Did you guys have to use an interpreter? Yeah, he came down. We met in our office, and I remember the room, and I remember the meeting actually. And uh, you, yeah, he. Uh, but he he had a very uh, he was a very friendly guy, uh, and uh, he also had a, a very uh, colorful. Uh, life in terms of his uh, what all he did, I didn't know till like four or five years ago that he was a he, he was a Bronco rider. Uh, <laughs> I mean, did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I did not yeah, know that. No. A Bronco yeah, rider yeah, in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Or uh, he, but he did. He wrote, are you sure uh, it wasn't that bull outside of Wall Street? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> bull rider. That's good. That's good. That's clever right there. He rode the Broncos for, I don't know, 
how many he, he, I mean in a circuit I don't know I don't even know how that works but I just know he it wasn't one time you know at the county fair he he did it uh, I don't know if you call it professionally or, or whatever but he did that he as you say uh, he served our country in the military he was in Vietnam he uh, he was just a, a a guy who had a, a, a wide experience in life and he that he used that to his advantage on the radio. Tim, one thing, um, I, I look, I don't want to say something's not true. I have to be very careful because I've heard, uh, you know, I wasn't present hearing every, every right. detail of what's happened. But I know that he, my understanding is that during his time in Vietnam, he was exposed to Agent Orange. And some right. people believe that has contributed to his response to his yeah. COVID diagnosis. Yeah, he told me, uh, he told several people when COVID came out in, um, what was it, February or March of 2020, that the doctor had told him that if he got COVID, it it would be hard on him to, I mean, it would be life-threatening, put it that way. And uh, so he, in February, he got uh I think it was double pneumonia uh, and uh, COVID related, and uh, so that's that's what put him in the hospital. And then he was uh, there, you know, for the last what six eight long, weeks long until, until he passed long. away. And he didn't he didn't come he didn't you know he didn't he didn't make it. So he knew how serious that uh, you know the COVID was to his health for the reasons you mentioned because he had a a lung issues related back to Vietnam. Let me just uh, mention, because people will care about this very much, Dan's wife, Yvonne, survives him, of course. He has, a, they were married for 42 years. I think Dan was 68 years old. He had he has two married daughters and eight grandchildren. And he was such a vibrant part of their life. All You know, always ideas, energy, just Mr. Personality. And so... It's a. It's going. It's going to be hard. I'm just confident. Yeah. How could it not be hard? It's fine. Right. Dan is fine. For those of you that are not believers in Christ, please observe that those of us that know Jesus don't die without hope, and our loved ones that are left don't mourn without hope. It makes a huge difference in how you greet death, and so we know that Dan, because of his commitment to Christ, it, like the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. We know where Dan is. But it's the ones that remain uh, that we grieve for now. And so uh, just remember his wife, Yvonne, and their girls and their grandchildren because mm-hmm. this has got to be a really hard time. Mm-hmm. Tim, just a practical question because everybody's going to want to know, yeah. and I'm sure it's too soon for the answer, but I'll ask anyway. What's going to happen after I say goodbye every morning? What's going to happen? Right. Well, <clears throat> we're not completely sure yet, uh, except that Jeff Shreve, our brother from Texarkana, Texas, First Baptist Church there, he's been. Uh, on since Dan, uh, you know, had to be hospitalized, uh, and the, the length of his stay was uncertain. We had to do something during that two hours <clears throat> that we normally would air financial issues. So we uh, uh, picked up Brother Jeff, and he's doing an outstanding job from eight to nine o'clock Central Time. Uh, the nine to ten o'clock slot, we don't know yet uh, permanently uh, what we'll do there. Uh, maybe some. We, we we just don't know. Uh, Ray Pritchard's been doing some work for us there in that hour. Alex McFarland's been helping us out. So that's yet to be determined. We'd like to have some some kind of program on our network that addresses 
finances, uh, uh, kitchen table economics, for example. Uh, I remember way back before Dan uh, was Larry Burkett. You remember Larry? Sure. Uh, Burkett, yep. He was a, a legend on Christian radio back in the 80s and 90s and so forth. So we, we uh, that, as you say, that's undecided and we'll be making announcements as soon as we know. You know, one, one, one other thing. Oh, but let me just say something. On Sunday mornings, I've told you this many times. I've actually told our listeners, too. I always listen to AFR talk. I'm a regular on Sunday mornings, like at the crack of dawn for people in the right. central time zone, because uh, I get up early to get ready for church here. Um, and um, I listen to Jeff Shreve. I love his preaching. Love his preaching. So if you yeah. guys have not heard him, I highly commend that you, w- during the time that we have with Jeff, we don't know if he's going to be able to do this as a pastor of the church, but after I finish, Jeff comes on, and he, you won't be sorry. Oh, yeah, he's agreed to do it. He's agreed to do it for okay. going forward, yeah. Okay, okay, well, that, so that's a fixed thing. The other thing that we didn't quite, and we only have like a minute and a half left here, Tim, but um, I know that Dan did other things for the ministry. He wasn't just a radio host. He Could you just say quickly what else he did for AFR? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Dan, well, first of all, he's been a, a board member of American Family Association for a decade. Uh, he uh, helped launch our uh, American Family Association Foundation, which many of your listeners uh, contribute to or have a uh, charitable gift annuity with. Uh, he trained um, our team there, Riley and Chelsea and Jessica, uh, to uh, how to properly run a foundation. Uh, we didn't really, uh, you know, we didn't really know that much about it quite frankly but it's a very valuable asset to any uh, especially medium to large uh, non-profit yeah. organization like we have so he, he and he advised us he came down to Tupelo once a week uh, for uh, one, uh, excuse me once a month for a week to, to for a couple of years there uh, just to help us out with in wow. that regard so he so was he's... a brother and a friend he is leaving, you know, a really strong footprint and fingerprint on the, you know, the, the legacy of American Family Radio, yes. American Family Association. And so we owe a debt of gratitude. And meanwhile, pray for his wife, Yvonne, and their family, uh, that God will, you know, strengthen and support them and comfort them. Because it is a real kick in the stomach to lose your sweetheart like this. And so we need to pray for them. Tim Wildman, thank you so much, and it's uh, thanks for getting up early this morning. We'll talk to you soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This is the sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as six weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in America and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time and this time, there were three. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
Millions of persecuted believers, they're suffering and they can use your prayers and financial support right now. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International in the country of Zambia, the place where the famous missionary David Livingstone carried out years of ministry. Shadrach is an elder in a shanty church. He had word that there was an attack coming one Sunday and sure enough, 20 radicals showed up in attempt to kill all the Christians gathered for worship in that service, about 200 in number. Now in self-defense, Shadrach had a handgun. He used it on a man named Ishmael, didn't kill him, but he injured him, but nursed him back to health. He was a livestock farmer, so he took care of the man's livestock. The daughter of that man could not read, could not write, so Shadrach would teach her to read and write using a Bible League program. And I can tell you, in grateful response, the entire family and 80 former radicals have come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. They need Bibles at $5 a Bible. Would you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Police are investigating a Nashville school board member who threatened Marsha Blackburn, the Republican senator from Tennessee. School board member Sharon Gentry was captured on a hot mic asking if they could set Blackburn on fire. Ms. Gentry, who is a Democrat, was angry over Blackburn's questioning of Supreme Court nominee Kentonji Brown-Jackson. Blackburn had asked Jackson to define a woman. In a response, the judge replied she didn't know because she's not a biologist. The exchange caused a national firestorm of controversy as the country grapples with a full-blown assault by transgender activists. Blackburn tells me Nashville police are indeed investigating the threat, as well they should. She tells me her family's faced death threats. She gets death threats every day. That's simply unacceptable. Ms. Gentry needs to be removed from the school board, and she needs to face some sort of a criminal charge. My new book, Our Daily Biscuit, available at your favorite bookstore and online right now at ToddSterns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Time is running out. Wisconsin must soon set its political maps that dictate who runs to represent which people in Wisconsin. This happens every 10 years, and we are getting very close to when candidates need those maps finalized so they can start their own paperwork to run for August and November elections. But in a ruling this week, the U.S. Supreme Court has thrown a massive delay into all of that. Wisconsin Supreme Court had picked Governor Evers' maps after the governor and Republican-led legislature couldn't agree. And now the highest court in the country is telling our state court to go back to the drawing board. All right, that's a report from Wisconsin, but of course it affects states all over the United States. The Supreme Court actually uh, ruled in a way on redistricting that offended the Democrats and helped the Republicans, as I understand it. But we're going to go into the weeds with that. But first of all, let me set this up by saying there's a brand new uh, research, peer-reviewed research paper out on Real, real Clear Politics And one of the interesting things, it says that by a margin of 52% to 40%, voters believe that cheating affected the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. 
It isn't just Republicans. 34% of Democrats believe it. 38% of those who somewhat support President Biden. A broad range of Americans think this. Men, women, all age groups, whites, those who are neither white nor black, Republicans, those who are neither Republicans nor Democrats, all job categories, all income groups, groups except those making $200,000 per year, uh, over $200,000 per year, and all education groups except those who attended graduate school. Uh, it's, it's an amazing, we're going to talk to John Lott about this at a later date, but th I just want to prove a point here because we're told repeatedly in every text, in every article, it talks about the election of 22, the fact that there was voter fraud or miscounting or m whatever the reason, the ballot drop boxes, the, um, the mail-in ballots, uh, the voter machines. It's a lie. It's a big lie. And people that embrace that must be punished cancel. They're trying to get Donald Trump arrested right now. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that later. Ken Cuccinelli joins me this morning. Of course, his name is familiar, because Ken is a former gubernatorial candidate uh, in for, for Virginia. He was the attorney general of Virginia. He was with the Trump administration as the acting head of uh, Customs and Border Patrol. But now he serves as national chairman of the Education Transparency <clears throat> Initiative. And so he joins us this morning to talk about the 2022 election. Good morning, Ken. What? Good morning. Good morning, What's your name? Ken. I called you Tim. I just talked to Tim. You're not. Good morning, Ken. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right, <laughs> and with no name changes or anything else. <laughs> well, at least it was the same gender. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> yeah, I haven't uh, changed that either. Yeah, good. I'm really happy. I'm, it has been a long time since I've seen you, so, you know, things can be different. But mm. all right. So the, I started with that clip on Wisconsin redistricting. So let's talk about that Supreme yeah. Court decision and kind of give people an idea. I've heard that a lot of things. I've heard that the redistricting is terrible for Republicans. They're going to lose it all. And then I've heard that redistricting is favoring Republicans. So I, it's a little confusing. Can you help us understand? Well, I mean, if you think of redistricting as a competition, the Democrats have won it. That's already happened. And um, it, it's really a question of by how much. That's step one. But step two is this is a red wave year, and they're not going to hold the House of Representatives regardless where the redistricting, I mean, the redistricting will limit their damage and it'll make it easier for them to take it back. But, um, you know, the when you have states like Illinois and New York that are very left, radically gerrymandering, and yet they complain about what amounts to um, marginal changes in places like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or what have you, um, it's, you know, they're playing one side and they're very good at it and they're very aggressive and they make no apologies where, and they don't get attacked for it. Whereas anybody who tries to gain ground on the right is viciously attacked, it, all the ad hominem, this and that. And frankly, a lot of the state legislators cower and state Supreme Court judges, justices, cower before that kind of pressure. In Wisconsin, um, and I know redistricting is kind of, a, to make it simple, we have, what, 300 and how many district um, congressional districts in this country, and they each have a congressman that represents them, and, and someone has to draw that map. Where is that district going to be? When yeah. you vote every you know, primary or um, general election, you have to figure out what district you're in and to be able to vote for a certain person. And so whoever decides on that map, you know, has some control. And if they draw the lines in a funny kind of way and include places that are more favorable to the candidate they want to win, then that's a problem, and that's what gerrymandering is, and that's what this is all about. But in Wisconsin, as I understand it, uh, Ken, 
uh, Governor Tony, I think it was Tony Evers, the governor, who uh, created a new a new district around Milwaukee. Is that right? Uh, well, tried to. Um, you know, these each map that comes along keeps getting rejected. So, uh, including Governor Evers. So, uh, the legislature and the governor couldn't, um, you know, reach any sort of accord. Um, there are a lot of states, especially in that swath where you go from Pennsylvania all the way to Wisconsin, that have Republican legislatures but Democrat governors. And so these sorts of impasses are being reached. And um, and the Wisconsin case, somewhat surprisingly to me, went as quickly as it did to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and I think most people expected the U.S. Supreme Court to rest with the state Supreme Court, but they didn't do that. They threw that map out and sent it back to Wisconsin and told them to go back to the drawing board. And, um, and of course, in your lead-in, part, part of the issue is, are we going to have to move primaries back? Well, in Virginia, we're, we're in the odd year. You know, so we were doing this last year, and we're kind of used to having to move our primary back in the, in the redistricting year. This is all stretched into the even year now, um, and it just shows how much more litigious and how much more contentious it has all become for all 435 seats and the lines surrounding them. Thank you for correcting me on the 435, <laughs> not 300 seats, 435, I should know that. Um, so uh, here's the thing, Ken, just to make a point that you know well, but I have to just take this moment to say this is how the left operates. If you ever wonder why they do things that they do, their modus operandi is to create chaos in everything. They want to create chaos. Well, and then chaos. take advantage of it. Yes, yeah. so that they can destroy yeah. the system and take advantage of the chaos. So that's why they do the things that they're doing. Uh, but um, I know there's and, so much And they're to say. substantially more prepared to litigate. Litigation is part of their strategy, whereas for our side, it's a bit of a fallback plan. And it's part of their plan. And oh. um, and so that chaos, you know, the lawyers roll in and, look, I'm a lawyer. I'm not belittling that. But, but you know, the, to your point, lawyers rolling in to uh, form what they want out of the chaos that's been created is part of the strategy of the left. There's no question about it. You know, I remember long discussions, Ken, before the 2020 election about how the Democrats were ramping up under Mark Elias and others, they had just massive amounts of attorneys ready to go into all of the states and contest and, and dispute. I mean, they had a plan. If if something happened that Trump yeah. had, oh, uh, yeah. you know, they they weren't able to take it from him. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but the the Republicans, you couldn't shake them with a stick. We try. Many of us tried to do that. It's like, what are you doing? You've got to. Well, have, you've got to have that, your own team. Believe it or not. There was more this year in 2020 than there had ever been before. And going forward, there'll be more still on the right because, um, I mean, you know what a fan of the RNC I am not. Um, <laughs> but yes, I do. they have finally set up a permanent uh, voter integrity unit that's year-round. All you know, doesn't just come on for the presidential cycle. It's staying up all the time. And they're weighing into to more and more cases, and they're doing so effectively. And, and, and I say doing so effectively, frankly, half the game is just showing up, right? Well, they weren't doing that before. Now, there were some reasons for that, um, but, um, but those have been overcome, and you're, 
while the right isn't matching the left in litigation, we are showing up in the big cases now, and we're bringing many of our own. You've got PILF, the pub, public interest law firm led by Christian Adams, um, that we goes know him. state by state by state, I'm sure you do, cleaning up voter rolls forcibly because a lot of states just don't do it. It's actually the most common weakness in all 50 states is the voter rolls. Yeah. Um, Ken, I was, uh, you know, there's so, many, there's so much to cover when, when you do elections, and I do this as often as I can. I try to catch people up, but it's very hard to get your arms around all of it. Most recently, we talked about the situation in Wisconsin. I think it's a Gableman, Gaberman, Gableman, I think was his name. Gableman, the former, yeah. yeah. Gableman. His report on what happened. And now we have another one. This is from Catherine Ingebrecht. Uh, they, they have gone, and it's the same thing they did in other states. They found 137,500 ballots unlawfully trafficked in Wisconsin. They have pictures. They have ways of doing it electronically. But the point I actually want to make, and this is not that, although I'd like to talk about that, uh, those of you, and that includes you, that includes me, it includes uh, John Eastman, it includes a lot of people who uh, believe there was voter fraud in 2020. There is a systematic effort to search and destroy, to blackball, to discredit. It's just disgusting, really. While most of America kind of like says, yeah, there we actually believe there was too. I find it interesting that Jim Bopp, who is a you know DC Beltway attorney, uh, sort of establishment, but he's a he's a good you know he he represented us at CWA actually, uh, but he um, has litigated 200 election lawsuits, and this is what he says about the 2020 election. He said what has been disclosed and in my view proven, is that there were sufficient irregularities in the 2020 election that a court at the time, could have reached the conclusion that the true result cannot be determined, but that time has passed. Um, it's not about overturning the 2020 election. It's about the future. The situation is crying for reform. I'm surprised that Jim Bob said that because because you guys are under attack. You, are, you, are you feeling the heat from that, Ken? Well, I mean, I've been in this arena since last February, uh, leading the Election Transparency Initiative, which people can find at electiontransparency.org. And, um, and you know, it's been one long year of just ad hominem attack from the left. They won't engage on substance because they can't. And um, and what's been amazing to me, and it gives me hope for America, is uh, I've never seen such uh, uh, not just complete attack from left to right, but also backed by money and litigation and everything else, and the censorship you described, which has been as thorough as it can be, um, perhaps short only of COVID. Um, and, um, and yet the American people haven't changed their opinion. I very know, much isn't it something? On isn't much of something? anything. I mean, <laughs> you look at vo- photo ID, voter ID, still literally every demographic favors it black, white. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Vegetarian, I mean, everybody. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating, and it speaks to the importance of whether they're conservative or not, if they're right of center, sticking together on an issue. Um, you, you go back a few years, Sandy, remember the bathroom stuff that started in North Carolina with Target letting men in the women's bathroom, and, and their that. legislature responded. And um, and then North Carolina was attacked, and they nobody really stood with them. 
in the way people stood with Georgia when the first explosion happened on elections last year. And and they crumbled in the bathroom situation, and it got nowhere anywhere else. Well, here, people, we all rallied around the Georgians, and, um, I mean, they didn't pass a massive voter reform. They passed a modest voter reform. It was good. It was in the right direction. It was a good start. Um, but the explosion from the left was so over the top. Turns out, strategically, maybe it was good they only did a little bit in Georgia, because when the left attacked the way they did, it looked ridiculous. And in, yeah. when even the Washington Post, the Washington Post is calling Joe Biden a pants-on-fire liar and Jim Clyburn um, oh, about that. what they're saying about Georgia's oh. election reform laws. I mean, that's my you-know-it's-bad-when category, <laughs> when even like the CNNs and Washington Posts of the world are against you on the left. And um, But that's what they did. They overplayed their hand. Americans didn't move. Everybody on the right, Republican, conservative, libertarian, et cetera, um, all stood through it. And um, and we've seen success in state after state here in Virginia, where I live. We had the first bipartisan Zuckerbucks ban passed. Shortly thereafter, it passed in Kentucky on a bipartisan basis. Um, I don't even know how many states we've got the Zuckerbucks bans in now, maybe around 15 or so. Um, it's really, uh, it's, we continue to make progress in the states. I'll tell you where I'm most disappointed is in the Republican states, states like Ohio and Idaho. And, you know, we can go around the red horn and, um, and they're just sitting on their hands doing very, very little. It's really very disappointing to see. And, um, and it's all from, we need to see more action there. Those folks are taking it for granted. It's well. It seems to be in the DNA of Republican leadership because in these meetings, uh, I know personally, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, they poo-poo any notion of voter fraud. They don't want. They say. They say, we got to get past that. We got to get past that. We just that's yeah. You that, know, I was a, as you know, Sandy. I was a state legislator for eight years before I became Attorney General of Virginia, and and I remember election problems that arise, and it was the quickest thing to be brushed under the rug. Yeah, you know, that was bad, but the election's over. Let's just move on to things I want to deal with. And um, and it was year after year. Justice Thomas, last I want to say last March, in a dissent, really took the court to task for not taking any cases. He said, look, before the election, we say they're moot. I, I'm sorry, they're not ripe. After the election, we say they're moot, and we never give any guidance to these courts. So I was glad to see them take up the Wisconsin redistricting case, but it's not the same thing as setting down the rules in the midst of an election. No, of course not. But it's just, it really is, you know, Ken, with the stats that I just gave from that red state report of how many Americans, not the least of which are so many Republicans, no, there was voter fraud. So many Democrats do. Why they continue to embrace or be afraid of talking about that when an election is coming up. This is something they don't want to touch. They don't want to touch anything about January 6th. They don't want to touch anything about election uh, the election of 2020. I just think it is it is the same but different. It used to be the it used to be the way they were on moral issues, except for abortion. That was safe for them. Uh, but it, they didn't want to take yeah. on those icky they want to talk about finances and taxes still. Yeah. Well, you know, the the, the value of something like the Gableman report 
is it points to more changes that need to happen in Wisconsin that are well-grounded, they're documented, and um, and that's the way to approach this. And, and we, frankly, I have found it to be a near-bulletproof approach, as much as anything can be in the issue space, um, to cleaning up and increasing confidence in elections. I mean, the reason there are two Democrat senators in Georgia is because on January 5th, hundreds of thousands of Georgians on the right had been talked into the fact that their vote truly did not matter. That's why they didn't show up. We know that statistically. We know that's why we have a 50-50 Senate instead of 52-48 right now. And um, the way we focus on it at Election Transparency Initiative, that's our measuring stick, is confidence in the outcome. Exactly. Well, including the losing side, including the losing side. You remember Bush v. Gore. Florida was an embarrassment. They were embarrassed. It was, an, it was a show of incompetency on, a, on an international level um, in 2000. And uh, they slogged through it. And what did Florida do? They spent literally three, four, five years cleaning up their election system, firing people that needed to be fired, and there were plenty of them. And, um, and, and fast forward to 2020, a very difficult, lousy year in elections. And Florida, the third largest state and the largest swing state, was smoothly done counting on election night with no complaints from either side. And they're still working Isn't to that improve something? their system. Yeah. Isn't and, that something? But, but what it tells you is we can do it. We're Americans. We can solve this problem. We have to fight through it. We have an ideological set of Stalinist leftists that want the kind of chaos you described. They take advantage of it. They hide fraud in it. And we need to fight against that. But the good news is Americans are with us on the issues. It gets tougher in the political arena. But when it comes to the basics, the Americans are with us, our fellow Americans, and we're fighting for them. So do you have a – look, I kind of cringe when I hear Republicans kind of preen about how they're going to take back the House – and all the things they're going to do when they take back the House, because um, I, I see that they're leading weakly. They're leading without a proper platform. They're leading with, you know, they're doing what they've always done. So my question to you, Ken, is do you think, are you optimistic about, yeah, I think you are because you just said well, you think I, you're going to take I, back the House. I mean, I, they'll certainly take back the House. You asked the more important question of, okay, then what do you do with it? Yeah. Um, you know, will you fight? And will you force border enforcement? Will, you know, we can go around the horn of issues by using the budget, right? And, um, and, and I don't know whether they will or not. They never have before. So I don't know why we would expect them to do it now. Do you have, um, how do you feel Trump about... Trump change things, but... What is your assessment of what might happen in the Senate elections? Oh, we're at 30 well, seconds. It's definitely, it's definitely very close. Um, I think Republicans have the edge if our folks are donating and engaging and showing up um, to knock doors and to vote. Uh, we, I do think we can win Arizona, Nevada. Adam Laxalt's a great candidate. We even have a shot in New Hampshire. We can win Georgia. We're at greatest risk in Pennsylvania. And then Ron Johnson's going to need our help as well to hold on to Wisconsin. But yeah. uh, we could end up up one, two, three seats max. But we could yeah. end up. Um, so, you know, Interesting. good news on that front as well. Yeah. And with a okay. tough map. 
Yes. All right. Well, it's uh, Ken Cuccinelli, National Chairman for the Election and Transparency, in- Transparency Initiative, electiontransparency.org, for lots of great information to keep you updated. So, Ken, great to talk to you always, and we'll see you soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus's fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, They want him dead, too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we're slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family, And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. If freedom-loving people have the opportunity to write the history of our time, they will doubtless decry the immense help that American elites have given their country's mortal enemy, the Chinese Communist Party. By some estimates, Wall Street mavens like BlackRock CEO Larry Fink have transferred more than $3 trillion of U.S. investors' money, funds the CCP uses to wage unrestricted warfare against us. Tragically, we lost an influential financier who stood athwart such betrayal. 
Dan Celia was the longtime host of a hugely popular TV and radio program and ministry called Financial Issues. He was sharply critical of fellow capitalists who failed to put patriotism before profits. While we mourn Dan Celia's untimely passing, he is surely in a position now to enlist more directly the Lord's help in protecting the country he so dearly loved. Godspeed, our friend. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, our report was based off almost exclusively on U.S. government documents and interviews with U.S. U.S. citizens. And of course, it was all you know, lied about, uh, falsely accused of disseminating Russian disinformation. It wasn't. You know, we had Treasury documents that showed a very troubling uh, number of uh, wire transfers uh, that just detailed out a vast web of foreign financial entanglements. You know, specifically, we were able to document probably about $13 million of flows between Russia, between Burisma, between uh, members of the Communist Party regime uh, in, in China. Uh, but that was all ignored by the press. They, you know, they, they looked at our report in September 2020 and just shrugged, so no, no evidence of criminal activity here, uh, no evidence that Joe Biden's yeah. implicated in all this, and these they covered it up. Uh, and as a result, they got Joe Biden elected. Now they continue to cover up for him. But uh, no, this this is troubling. Now we have actual bank records that uh, verify what we report back in September 2020 is true. Uh, the, the laptop is obviously a treasure trove of additional corroborating evidence as well. Uh, and unfortunately, our, our intelligence agencies, I think our FBI had been sitting on this information. And unfortunately, they were complicit as well in the cover up. That was a Senator Ron Johnson since Ken Cuccinelli Nelly mentioned him. I wanted to make sure you heard that. He was on with uh, Maria Bartiroma yesterday. They are coming after him in Wisconsin with a vengeance. And uh, there's been no, really, including, I love Ted Cruz, I love Rand Paul, but I don't think there's been anyone more competent and dogmatic about the things that have happened in this country, whether it's election fraud or January the 6th, uh, the Hunter Biden situation, the Russian collusion story, he has been uh, just gloves off after this, after this, after this, and all over. He's got great staff. He does not deserve this, but, of course, that's why they're coming after him, because he's so effective. Now, he's talking about Hunter Biden's, um, uh, the, all the money that he's taken from foreign sources. It's estimated, well, look, I haven't got a total estimate, but I know that it's from China alone. I've, it, I've heard estimates as high as $30 million. And we have actually, because of the laptop, we have like a little breakdown of where that money went. It's one of those, one of the sets of payments went. And it was 10% for H, that's Hunter, 10% for his partners, and it has their initials. And then at the bottom, it's 10% for H, Hunter, for the big guy. And the big guy's Joe Biden, we know from other email. So uh, when people tell you that Joe Biden has nothing to do with this, this is just his son, that is an absolute lie. We have the proof in that computer which now the New York Times finally admits really was Hunter's laptop. Oh, my goodness. We we said it wasn't. We swore it wasn't. Joe Biden swore it wasn't. It was fake. It was Russian disinformation. But now, of course, we know that's actually true. So Senator Ryan Johnson, Ron Johnson, Rand, I've got him blended. Senator Ron Johnson uh, said a lot of things. I can't play all of it this morning. But he concluded with this because it's just amazing. He talks about the corruption at the highest levels. This is clip six. Well, you have to be suspicious of that. And remember, what was all underpinning the whole Russian collusion with the Trump hoax was the media was so concerned that if, if Trump had any ties with Russia, that that would undermine a Trump presidency and allow for blackmail. And here you have a treasure trove of, of evidence 
that Joe Biden actually is compromised. He actually has all these this vast web of connections in China, in Kazakhstan, in Russia, in Ukraine. And yet the media just turns a blind eye toward it. This is corruption at the highest level. Yes, and there's a lot more to that because we're actually following policies that the Biden administration is implementing that are favoring China and actually giving a wink and a nod to Russia at the same time. Uh, many are predicting that there's uh, Biden will not go over the line uh, against Russia. He'll kind of throw tokens at Ukraine. Uh, but it's it's really because they took three and a half million dollars from the wife. Well, let's just say Hunter did. I don't know for certain that Joe Biden got 10 percent of that. But it sounds like maybe it was the plan. He got Hunter got three and a half million dollars from the former wife of the mayor of Moscow. And uh, no one's been able to explain that. But um, there's there's like a problem. There's a problem, Houston. There's a problem. Uh, we'll come back to that. I haven't talked enough about the Hunter laptop um, but I want to go, morph to another subject because this is going to come up this week, and that's the uh, the vote on uh, Judge Just Judge Katanji uh, Brown Jackson. And there's more information that's come out over the weekend, and I just feel compelled to get this to you as quickly as I can. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, said, revealed this. He said the Declaration of Independence proclaims we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That's what's called natural rights. Okay, that's term the short term for that. That's natural rights. They are God-given. So on a questionnaire, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson said she has no position on whether that's true or not. She was asked, uh, she wrote, I do not hold a position on whether individuals possess natural rights. Do you understand how significant that is? That you don't have a right given to you by God for freedom, for free speech, for free movement, to free to have, you know, rule your own life, make your own decisions. She's just not sure that you have natural rights. Article 3 under um, uh, Mike Davis, who's been our guest more than once now, has finally, they did go through all those records from Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson since the committee didn't do that, and they found just incredible things, and I'm going to share a couple of them with you. Uh, for one thing, Mike describes it as a dangerous pattern of extreme leniency in eight of eight child sex torture cases. She was excessively lenient in 100% of the child pornography cases that she oversaw. And I'm going to go into some more depth here. Um, I'm going to come back to that. Uh, no, no, I'm going to go ahead and I'll jump here. Judge Jackson has demonstrated leniency for child pornography offenders across the board. And in every single case, she sentenced the child pornographer to less than what the sentencing guidelines recommended. In one case, she gave a child pornographer a mere three months when the sentencing guides guidelines recommended eight to ten years. And during the time when he would have been in prison, he offended again. Judge Jackson refused to provide more information about this case in response to re requests from all 11 Republican members on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And there's actually more to that story. Um, let's see if this is the... That's a different case. I'm sorry. Uh, there, there's more information. Well, I'll tell you right I remember. This guy had a, a, a series, as I understand it, of, of child rapes, and then he tried to rape his sister-in-law. And at the same time, he told them he had lived in D.C., but he really was residing in Maryland, working in a child daycare center. And, of course, the facts of the case are brutal. I can't go into that on over the radio. Uh, but she, she gave him, uh, she gave, actually t expressed her sympathy for him. Uh, when uh, sentencing him, the light sentence that she gave him. 
It's just, uh, it is unbelievable. And then there are other cases too, just in criminality. We are, you already know that she volunteered to defend uh, detainees at Gitmo uh, and how many of them went back on the field and killed, actually killed Americans. I think there were six Americans killed by some of the guys she had defended later after she got them out. Uh, this is from Tom Cotton, Senator Con, Tom Cotton, who sits on the Judiciary Committee. He, he says Judge Jackson twisted the law to reduce a fentanyl kingpin sentence below the minimum set by Congress while admitting that Congress had chosen not to give her the authority to do that. She even apologized to the criminal for having to follow the mandatory minimum the first time around. She gave a compassionate release to a criminal who had previously abused compassionate release, which is a temporary furlough, for brutally murdering a deputy U.S. Marshal on the steps of a church. Judge Jackson released him because he had high blood pressure. Judge Jackson sentenced a career criminal who assaulted a law enforcement officer to less time than requested, even by the criminal himself. Uh, so, uh, I mean, there's more. There's a lot more to that, but that's that's enough, don't you think? That's enough, and I, that would be probably why uh, I have to give uh, thanks to Mitch McConnell. I hardly ever do, but when he de- deserves praise, I want to give it to him since I'm so hard on him the other days of the week. Uh, he is actually going uh, around the room, shall we say, metaphorically, and strong-arming the Republicans who have been, gone soft and squishy on Katanji uh, Brown-Jackson. He's actually full out trying to get her defeated. Um, and so uh, he said, I think the Democrats thought this would be an easy process confirmation, but it's not going to be because she's a radical nominee. And I would hope that every Republican would look seriously at her record, which I think is troubling. So the people that are, your senators that are on the fence here, let me share this. Manchin in West Virginia, Kelly and Cinema in Arizona, Cortez Masto and Rosen in Nevada, Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia, Hassan and Shaheen in New Hampshire. And for Republicans, Collins has said she'll support, but she could go back now that more has come out. Mitt Romney and Elisa Murkowski, those are the wiggly ones. Uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to call your senator anyway and tell them how you feel about this uh, and call them again on their state office. Don't call them at the in the office in the D.C. Capitol because they, they're young staffers and they don't respect you. I don't know what else to say. But so the people at home will have, give you more respect and they will actually listen to you. So you might want to make those calls if you're concerned about Katanji Brown-Jackson. Okay, tomorrow we'll be back. Sandy Reels in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.